Isaiah chapter 14, verse 1. Because Jehovah loveth Jacob, and hath fixed again on Israel, and given them rest on their own land, and joined hath been the sojourner to them, and they have been admitted to the house of Jacob. This is talking about what it will be like in Israel after Babylon falls and releases its grip from Israel. Foreigners will again be able to come into Israel and live there, and Israel itself, which is called Jacob here, will be able to return to Israel as well. 2. And peoples have taken them, and have brought them in unto their place, and the house of Israel have inherited them on the land of Jehovah, for men servants and for maidservants, and they have been captors of their captors, and have ruled over their exactors. The Israelites will actually be transported back to Israel by the people who enslaved them in Babylon, and then the people who enslaved them will become their slaves when they make it back to Israel. So this is going to be an interesting reversal. Israel is going to own its own land again for a time after Babylon falls. 3. And it hath come to pass, in the day of Jehovah's giving rest to thee, from thy grief, and from thy trouble, and from the sharp bondage that hath been served upon thee. This will be a time of rest from war. Nobody is going to be attacking Israel for a while. 4. That thou hast taken up this simile concerning the king of Babylon, and said, How hath the exactor ceased? This is probably going to be a song that the Israelites sing when they return to Babylon, and the song is going to say that their slave master has ceased to be. 5. Ceased hath the golden one, broken hath Jehovah the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers. A staff is what you use to control the sheep. Babylon can no longer control Israel, and Babylon's scepter will be broken, which means that their kingship will be dissolved. 6. He who is smiting peoples in wrath, a smiting without intermission. He who is ruling in anger nations, pursuing without restraint. 7. At rest, quiet hath been all the earth. They have broken forth into singing. Babylon pursued all of the nations, not just Israel, but the Lord allowed it to capture Israel because of Israel's sin. Babylon was an empire where it was just trying to take over nation after nation, and that's why it controlled so much of the world. They pursued capturing nations without restraint, and that's what empires always do. But the entire world is going to sing when Babylon falls. Because a lot of the nations that were captured by Babylon did not want to be. Not only will Israel be free, but all the other nations will be free as well. This is also reminiscent of the millennial reign of Christ because Babylon will be destroyed before the millennial reign begins. And this is the final Babylon, which I believe is the city of Rome. Rome has control over many nations now through politics and religion. It definitely has its grip all across the world. When the Babylon of Revelation falls, the merchants will mourn over it because they can't make money off of it anymore. But I guess the world in general will rejoice when Jesus comes. Did you know that Jesus is for sovereignty of nations? He upholds 
sovereignty of nations. He's against a one world order. Because even when Jesus returns for the thousand year millennial reign, it won't be a one world order in the sense that there's only one nation. There will still be multiple nations. And when all the nations go to heaven, the book of Revelation tells us that there will be multiple nations in heaven. He has always been for maintaining our ethnic and sovereign identity. He will be the only ruler in heaven. And during the millennial reign, he will be the only ruler. But he isn't going to take anybody's identity away. He isn't going to say, oh, you're all part of nation X now. All the nations will still maintain their identity. The one world order destroys the identity of nations and makes it so that there's no boundaries, there's no borders, and there's no identity anymore. So people lose who God created them to be under the one world order. And that's what Babylon tries to establish. Babylon tries to make every nation have its same religious beliefs and traditions. 8. Even firs have rejoiced over thee, cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since thou hast lain down, the hewer cometh not up against us. Even the cedar trees in Lebanon will rejoice because Babylon isn't going to be cutting them down for endless building projects, and the forests will flourish. It isn't evil to cut trees down, but I guess in this case, Babylon was chopping down all of Lebanon. 9. Sheol beneath hath been troubled at thee, to meet thy coming in. It is waking up for thee, Rephim, all chief ones of earth. It hath raised up from their thrones all kings of nations. These kings are not on happy thrones. They say you're going to be weak like us, and you're going to be in a bed of maggots. So they also are probably on thrones of maggots the grave, which here is really hell, because you know the king of Babylon did not serve the Lord. It's waking up Rephaim down in hell. Rephaim means the dead. So here is a clue that when you die, you don't stop existing. Babylon was the first empire in world history. So when the king of Babylon came to hell, hell would make all the other kings stand up and take notice of the king of Babylon coming. And of course the king of Babylon's torment would be greater than all of those other kings in hell, because he killed more people and harmed more people than any of them did. Hell is going to make all those kings stand up and watch the torment of the king of Babylon. You know, in hell there's no such thing as honor, and there's no such thing as reward. The worse you are on earth, the worse torment you get in hell. And nobody wants what hell has to offer. 10. All of them answer and say unto thee, Even thou hast become weak like us. Unto us thou hast become like. The kings that are already in hell are going to emotionally and psychologically torment the king of Babylon when he enters. And they're going to mock him and say, Now you're as weak as we are. This is not a friendly welcome. This is a mocking and a shaming. 11. Brought down to Sheol hath been thine excellency, the noise of thy psaltery. Under thee spread out hath been the worm, yea, covering thee is the worm. Kings always have a procession, and the procession always has an orchestra playing music. 
So it says you and your musical procession are going to come down here and you're going to have a bed of worms and a blanket of worms. And Jesus said in the New Testament that the worms in hell never die. If worms are eating your flesh in hell, they'll continue eating it forever. Those worms will never die. And neither will you. People who think that when you go to hell you just die and it's over, it's not over. Because Jesus said that hell is eternal. And he said that torment in hell is eternal. And you can't be tormented for eternity if you're gone. You are going to be alive there for all eternity. And the worms also are eternal in hell. They don't die either. Nothing really dies. There's spiritual death and there's mortal death. So when God told Adam and Eve that they would surely die if they ate the fruit, he was talking about spiritual death, that they would be separated from God and hell would become their reward if they never repented of their sin. And then the Bible also talks about mortal death, and it says many times that our bodies will die. But when our mortal body dies, the body that we're living in now, our spirit remains alive forever. And that's why we either go into eternal joy, which is heaven, or we go into eternal torment, which is hell. Our spirits will not die, just as the demons will not die. The demons have been alive for thousands and thousands of years. They can't die. They wish they could. They would love to disappear and just dissolve and not be alive anymore, because they hate their existence. They hate the hideous way they look, and they hate their hideous lives. But they can't die. And that's a sign to you and I that we won't be able to die either. In the book of Revelation, it also says that people will wish that they could die and they won't be able to. That's the mortal death. But that's a symbol for the spiritual wish that everybody in hell has now, which is they all wish that they were completely dissolved into nothingness. They wish that they wouldn't have to feel their torment anymore, but they do have to feel it. And that should motivate all of us to repent knowing that we face either eternal joy or eternal torment. That's a great motivation. But if we don't believe that hell is real, then we're going to lose a lot of our motivation to repent of our sins. So it's really important to believe what the Bible says. 12. How hast thou fallen from the heavens, O shining one, son of the dawn? Thou hast been cut down to earth, O weaker of nations. This is the kings in hell mocking and shaming the king of Babylon when he enters. And they're going to say, how you have fallen. But this verse is also a historical prophecy of when Satan fell from heaven because of his rebellion against the Son of God. It calls him Son of the Dawn. He was very bright. He was as bright as the sun, most likely. Because angels in heaven are very bright, and he apparently was the most beautiful angel in heaven, or one of the most beautiful. And part of his curse is that the Lord has now made him the most ugly, hideous, disgusting-looking being there is. There's nobody uglier than Satan now. And that's because he was proud of himself, and he gave himself credit for the beauty that the Lord had given him. So the Lord took all of that beauty away and replaced it with a hideous visage. So don't be afraid of Satan if you ever see a vision of him, because he hates the way he looks. If he looked in the mirror, he'd jump too. 
He does not like looking that way. So don't be afraid of the way he looks. That's a judgment from the Lord. 13. And thou saidst in thy heart, The heavens I go up, above stars of God I raise my throne, and I sit in the mount of meeting, in the sides of the north. That's what the king of Babylon said to himself. He said, I'm greater than God, and I'm going to usurp God's authority over earth. And that's what many elite people are saying to themselves today. They're saying that they're greater than their creator. But this is also what Satan said. He wanted to take the throne of God. He's such an idiot because how can you be greater than the one who created you? How can you take credit for your beauty when you didn't even make yourself beautiful? Somebody else did it. You have to be insane to not fear your own creator. 14. I go up above the heights of a thick cloud. I am like the Most High. We're all supposed to be like Jesus, but in the sense that we follow him and we imitate him. But we're never going to have his beauty, his glory, his omniscience, his power, his authority. But Satan actually thought that he could be Jesus' equal. 15. Only unto Sheol thou art brought down, unto the sides of the pit. There are different physical aspects of hell. One of them is that there is a pit in hell, and there's multiple pits for multiple people. There's outer darkness, which Jesus talks about in the New Testament. There's also the lake of fire, which is talked about in multiple books in the Bible. And there's a pit that many people go into. Thy beholders look to thee, to thee they attend. Is this the man causing the earth to tremble, shaking kingdoms? The whole world, when they saw the king of Babylon die, they all said to themselves, Oh, he controlled all of us and now he's dead. And it was a reality check that nobody really controls anything except the Lord. 17. He hath made the world as a wilderness, and his cities he hath broken down. Of his bound ones he opened not the house. The king of Babylon turned nations into wastelands because he killed all the people in a lot of places. He burned and ransacked cities. And anyone who he put in prison, he did not let out. They stayed in prison to rot. Yet he is now dead. 18. All kings of nations, all of them, have lain down in honor, each in his house. 19. And thou hast been cast out of thy grave as an abominable branch, raiment of the slain, thrust through ones of the sword, going down unto the sons of the pit, as a carcass trodden down. The king of Babylon did not have a proper burial. A lot of the kings who went to hell before him, they all had proper burials. They were all entombed inside their own castles, with lots of honor. But the king of Babylon is going to die in the field, and his carcass is going to be trampled over. He will have a shameful death. 20. And thou art not united with them in burial, for thy land thou hast destroyed, thy people thou hast slain, not named to the ages the seed of evildoers. Because he was ruthless against his own people, there's nobody left to continue his legacy. 21. Prepared ye for his sons' slaughter, because of the iniquity of their fathers. They rise not, nor have possessed the land, nor filled the face of the earth with cities. The king of Babylon's sons did die. I'm not sure if 
it's because he killed them or because of his decisions that caused them to get killed in battle. 22. And I have risen up against them the affirmation of Jehovah of hosts, and have cut off, in reference to Babylon, name and remnant, and continuator and successor, the affirmation of Jehovah. This is the Lord saying, I am the one who killed all of his descendants. No matter who actually killed them in a physical sense, it was authorized by the Lord. 23. And have made it for a possession of a bittern and ponds of waters, and daubed it with a mire of destruction, the affirmation of Jehovah of hosts. The Lord says that he is going to turn the capital city of Babylon into a marsh area, where small marsh animals will live. And again, to this day, you can look on Google Maps and the capital city of Babylon is just a wasteland. Nobody lives there. There's no buildings. It's in a place in Iraq. 24. Sworn hath Jehovah of hosts, saying, As I thought, so hath it not been, and as I counseleth, it standeth. The Lord says, Whatever is in my mind is what happens, and whatever I say is what stands. 25. To break assure in my land, and on my mountains I tread him down, and turned from off them hath his yoke, yea, his burden from off their shoulder turneth aside. Now the prophecy is transitioning to the Lord's judgment on the Assyrians and the Philistines. In this verse it's talking about his judgment on the Assyrians. He's going to take them down as well. The Assyrians are the Persians who became the next greatest kingdom. First Babylon conquered the world and then Babylon fell and Persia conquered less of the world than what Babylon had conquered. 26. This is the counsel that is counseled for all the earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out for all the nations. So this judgment pertains to the entire world. The Lord allowed Babylon to grow so that he could use it for his judgment against Israel and other nations. Then he destroyed Babylon, and he's going to allow Persia to establish a smaller empire. But then he's going to judge Persia as well. 27. For Jehovah of hosts hath purposed, and who doth make void, and his hand that is stretched out, who doth turn it back? When the Lord stretches his hand out in wrath, nobody can push his hand away. And his hand is his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is always the right hand of God throughout the entire Bible, even in the book of Revelation. When he comes in wrath, it's the Son who carries out the wrath of God. Jesus wouldn't hurt a fly only during his ministry on earth, because when he came to earth, he was not glorified. He left his glory to be here with us. But in his glorified form, he works out the wrath of the Father. That's why when he comes back in Revelation, he'll have a sword coming out of his mouth. He will be fully glorified. 28. In the year of the death of King Ahaz was this burden. This prophecy was told and written down by Isaiah in the year that King Ahaz died. Ahaz was the first king that Isaiah served. He served four kings altogether. Isaiah continued prophesying over Israel even after Ahaz's death. 29. Rejoice not thou, Philistia, all of thee, that broken hath been the rod of thy smiter. 
For from the root of a serpent cometh out a viper, and its fruit is a flying seraph. This is a metaphor against the Philistines, saying, Everyone else can rejoice that Babylon has fallen, but you shouldn't, because you're going to get destroyed by the progeny of Babylon, which is Persia, I believe. It's likening Babylon to a snake, saying that its child, the viper, will come out as a flying angel to kill you, which means it will come out with the strength of the Lord as a messenger against you. 30. And delighted have the firstborn of the poor, and the needy in conference lie down, and I have put to death with famine thy root, and thy remnant it slayeth. It says that those who are weak, the, the poor, and the needy, they won't be oppressed anymore, and they're going to kill the remnant of the Philistines. The Philistines were completely wiped out in history. There are no descendants of the Philistines, contrary to what the media tells us. The media tells us that the descendants of the Philistines are living in the Gaza Strip, but there are no descendants of the Philistines. 31. Howl, O gate, cry, O city, melted art thou, Philista, all of thee, for from the north smoke hath come, and there is none alone in his set places. The Philistines will be completely annihilated. 32. And what doth one answer the messengers of a nation? that Jehovah hath founded Zion, and in it do the poor of his people trust. When Israel follows the Lord, even the poorest people in Israel will be safe. And that's true for us today too. When we follow the Lord, even the poorest of us will be safe. And that concludes Isaiah chapter 14.